Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Our title today is What We Get Wrong About Finding Our Calling. What We Get Wrong About Finding Our Calling. And I trust that it will not just be simply for you, but for all those whom you serve and influence. So I've been holding for some time uh, this message that I'm going to share with you today uh, about a theology of work and calling and life. And now with a dramatic shift of the church uh, in the midst of, and as COVID-19 comes to a close and its influence in the global church, if it does come to a close, of course, uh, the redefining of what is success for us and the wrestling of what it is that we're doing uh, in our communities and our churches uh, is quite critical. And a theology of work and calling is is very important because without a lack of depth and clarity, uh, there's just a lot of confusion. And uh, this, what you're going to hear today, and gives us a great perspective and a needed perspective as we begin to uh, measure success within our local churches and communities and our personal lives, uh, as we equip people and send them out into the world, into their workplaces and homes and schools, outside of the church uh, for Christ. And I trust it will help us all relax uh, in God and take a much longer view within a mustard seed theology of the kingdom. There's so much wrong, unbiblical teaching around work and calling that it's more urgent than ever that we recover God's perspective on this. Uh, this wrong teaching comes out of our culture, comes out of our church backgrounds, comes out of language that we use. And uh, when I finally got into a serious theology of work and calling a number of years ago and recovered a biblical framework, I realized that what a couple of theologians had said was very true. Uh, discovering this or rediscovering it is like discovering a new continent. It is earth shaking. So my prayer for you, uh, and I will share this message that I gave a few years ago on this, is that it will have the same impact on you and those you serve as it did on me a number of years ago. Now, Paul's going to be writing to, uh, he's writing, and the text I'm using is out of Colossians 3, as Paul writes to slaves in Rome. Uh, and they say one third of the population of Rome uh, were slaves. And so Paul is giving them a incredible sense of importance and significance and calling in his day. And so, for example, the next time you hear someone say, I was called to full-time ministry, and then to say, I became a pastor or whatever, a missionary, you want to say, well, I too was called in full, into full-time ministry when I became a Christian. Uh, you may be a trade, the person may be a tradesperson, an at-home dad, at-home mom, a social worker, a physician's assistant, a teacher, a driver for UPS or FedEx. But uh, we're all in full-time ministry, and, and the words we use are very important because the words we use create culture. They communicate theology. They're extremely important. It's as something as simple as when someone says to me, Pete, I know you're busy, and I just reply, it's not that I'm busy. I'm just limited. Uh, again, that word limited reveals a theology of what we believe. So there's a there's six characteristics or qualities of a, ch of a culture that deeply changes lives. And uh, the, sixth the, the sixth characteristic after slow down spirituality, integrity, and leadership, uh, beneath the surface discipleship, et cetera, is every person 
in full-time ministry. So let me invite you to download uh, this free ebook. It's a 15-minute read called Church Culture Revolution, a six-part vision that deeply changes lives, where one of the points is every person in full-time ministry. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. So let me invite you now to sit back uh, and enjoy this message, what we get wrong about finding our calling out of Colossians chapter three. Go with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter uh, three, Colossians three, but Colossians chapter three, verse 22. I learned how to figure out those little small epistles uh, with an acronym, you know, we're, you know, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, power is Philippians, and C is Colossians. So those little epistles by Paul are after Acts and before Thessalonians, and a little tough to find, but uh, Colossians, all right? General Electric Power Company, I'll never forget, I never forgot it, and it always kept, helps me keep them in order, you know? Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading at verse uh, 22. Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. Now, if you've worked with computers, and most of us probably do in this room, you know that occasionally your computer gets a virus. You know, you're working on it, and all of a sudden it freezes, and you bang it a little bit, and it unfreezes, and it's going really slow, and then you realize, oh man, I got a virus. And I got to get my hard drive cleaned out. And so you bring it in, they hopefully save the good information, and they clean out all the viruses and stuff, and you get your computer back. But if you've ever had to clean out your computer, it's very traumatic. It's emotional, you know? That image of, of your computer crashing because of viruses, and then having to be cleaning out the hard drive and reboot it to start fresh, is a nice image for what we're going to do today and what we're going to launch into. Because we're going to reboot into the new year. And what we need to do is to clean out the viruses of our thinking, our theology, our way of understanding ourselves and our lives and our work and our callings, and then getting some new data in that, uh, uploading some new stuff into our computer, into our lives, so that we really get free and uh, live out the kind of life God's called us to. Because that viruses are destructive to computers and wrong thinking about what we're going to talk about today uh, as well, uh, does great destruction into our lives and our relationships. Originally, I was planning to do a series on money and stewardship uh, because the Bible speaks so much about money and stewardship. It's very important that a church teaches on it periodically and, and regularly because you know, we've got 500 verses about prayer in the Bible. But we've got 2,000 verses about money. And as Christ said, where your money is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And Christ knew that, that the issue of money and possessions touches the very core of our spiritual lives. And he, he, he connected it very much to our understanding of spiritual warfare, our understanding of security, our fears, greed. It, it's so big and so foundational 
that uh, it's important that uh, we all get taught on the issues of money and stewardship. But I realized as I was pondering it and where we are as a church that really it's a, it's, a, it's a smaller category to the big one and that we have to attack this. And it's the issue of your life, your calling, and your work, which is the title of this series we're about to launch into. And um, uh, it's big. It's really big. In fact, if you get this, uh, and I hope you'll get some of it today, if you get this, it really will change your entire life and the way that you look at yourself, the way you look at your work, the way you look at your free time, the way you look at all your relationships. Uh, it, it is so large. Now, the reason we have this virus is because of a heresy. And that heresy actually goes back and is found in the book of Colossians. Actually, it goes back to before Colossians was written, but it was found in the early church and it pervades us to this day. And because in Colossians was a dynamic church, uh, right near the church of Laodicea, uh, which some of you may have heard about in Asia Minor. Uh, but in this church, uh, there was a lot of people on fire for Jesus. And there were some great teachers, very dynamic teachers. Uh, but what happened was a number of folks in this church got very heavenly minded. In fact, they became so heavenly minded, so into Jesus, so into their visions and revelations and wisdom, that they became soon no earthly good, especially in their earthly relationships, their work, their family, raising kids. They, they wanted to keep away from the world and into Jesus. And, uh, and so there began to be this kind of a, uh, a division of, of, of like the elite, kind of like SWAT team Christians who were on fire for Jesus and who really kind of couldn't be bothered with those earthly things too much anymore. And then you get the regular folks. And so Paul writes this letter because he realizes what a, what a problem this was. And how huge it was. Because what happened was you had, a, you had a, a compartmentalization of spirituality. Where, okay, we have it today, right? I'm in, I'm, you're here today. I'm into Jesus. I, I feel spiritual. Prayer, Bible, study the word. This is wonderful. But you know what? I got to go home to my complaining spouse. Or my kids. I got to go to work tomorrow. And the drudgery of that. And my checkbook. And, and so it's like, that's not really very spiritual. But right now I'm feeling very spiritual on fire for God. And, and that compartmentalization of our lives into segments of what Paul's going out against here. And um, uh, so he writes to the slaves uh, here in this section here. And he writes to the masters. Now understand that in the, Rome, in, the, in the Roman Empire when this was written, there was about uh, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at the time this was written. Rome itself had about two to 300,000 slaves. A third of Rome was slaves. And so when the early church began, the church was filled with slaves who had come to Christ. It was also filled with some, a few slave owners as well. And, uh, and slaves were now accepted part of the community. And understand that, that now is Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Now God poured out a spirit on everybody, right? Men, women, children, slaves, free, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. So all of a sudden you had some slaves that now are becoming pastors and, and teachers and bishops. One, one, one guy, Onesiphorus, became the bishop of, of Ephesus. And so obviously you get real spiritual mind and say, why be a slave? I'm free in Jesus. You know, I, I'm, I'm, he's my master now. I'm out of here. And actually, one of the letters Philemon has written about a, you know, Paul trying to get this runaway, this master, slave master to accept his runaway slave who'd become a Christian. And so this issue of understanding our work and how we deal with earthly things and spirituality was at the forefront of what Paul writes here. So he's talking about the Christians in Colossians, Colossae, like he's talking to us about your life and your calling and your work and understanding it. Now, this is so big because we have, we have these bad teachings. We've got to erase some memory, okay, out of our hard drive. And we've been exposed to this uh, even before you came to Christ. And it's in our culture. It's in most churches. 
Uh, I hear it in comments. I've been listening to it at New Life for a long time. Uh, it's very deep. In fact, I'm still working through this teaching. Just so you know, I am still, as you'll hear later, I am still grasping the depth of it and all of its implications. But let me just say this. If you get this today, and the theme is your calling is your whole life. As one scholar wrote, rediscovering this truth is like discovering a new continent. Now, I was told first service that we have seven continents. For some reason, I thought it was six. I don't know. Australia is a continent, right? Seven continents. Just imagine the implications of finding out there's another continent out there. All right? like imagine. Like Africa. Oh, my gosh. Another continent. I mean, it would just change everything, the way we view the world and our understanding. We've got to... Well, what happened historically? I mean, it would change so many things. And it would change everything, actually. Well, the same way this teach about your calling is your whole life is like rediscovering something that was lost. It's so big, and its implications, I trust, as you'll see, are so big. Now, here's the kind of, here's the kind of heretical or erroneous or viral comments that are often spoken around this theme of calling. People say things like this. You know, Pastor Pete, I, I just don't know my calling. No idea. Or, you know, I'm just working. Uh, I'm waiting for my calling. Or this one. I, I just, I'm just waiting to see what to do with my life. I'm waiting. Or, as some folks said to me in their 50s, I'm still waiting to see what I should do when I grow up. Or, I work my job so I can do what I want on weekends. And I'm working to, re to retire. Or, you know what? I was called to the ministry full-time when I was 21 years old. So what I did was I went to seminary, and then I became a full-time pastor for Christ. You hear that very common, right? And then we have a service, and we celebrate them. Or you know, I'm, not, I'm not trained. You know, I'm just a lay person. I'm just a regular person. Or whatever was my calling, I don't know. All I know is I missed it. And so here is the, the three errors of misunderstanding calling or vocation. Now understand, the Bible, the word for calling, is the same word for vocation, right? And, uh, but here's the common misunderstandings that float around. They were in Colossians, this church in, in, in Colossae, they're here today. One is that calling is my occupation, right? You take a vocational test. Didn't you take one of those in high school or, or grammar school? I took one. Actually, it was in clergy. It was last for me. Anyway, you know, so I, I, I you know, my calling is my, I'm a doctor, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a social worker, or I'm a teacher, right? I, and uh, that's my calling. No, that's, that's not true. Or calling is your place in life. And, uh, you know, in the time of Paul, it was, uh, you're, you're, you're either free, that's your calling, or you're a slave, that's your calling, or you're single, that's your calling, or you're married, that's your calling. No, that, that's not true either. It's, it's much larger than that. Uh, or, or something, calling is reserved for professional Christians. And uh, it's very common. They're, they're called. That's why they're professionals. And... Uh, and so what happened was, even, even in ancient Greek culture, remember, Jesus came and, and the gospel was born into what's called the Greco-Roman world, Greek culture and the Roman culture. And, and, and the Greeks considered work cursed. And so there was actually a whole city called Thebes where um, uh, nobody worked. Slaves did all the work. Doesn't that sound nice? You know? And uh, they just, work was just seen as evil. And so what happened is, after Paul and the epistles, by the 3rd and 4th and 5th centuries, the church ended up adopting this kind of a split of God's world is split into two parts. 
where you had, it's unbiblical, where you had the spiritual stuff, things related to spiritual, eternal God in heaven, pastoring, missionary, direct church-related work, prayer, work. It's worthy work, everlasting. Then you had kind of like the secular work out there. You had homework, business, marketplace, trades, money, government, sex, kind of temporal, un, you know, unworthy. And, and, so, and that's where this whole thing of like, you really were called by God, you went and became a priest or a, you went to a monastery to be a contemplative. And, and so what happened was it emerged over the centuries where you know, it's kind of like supposed level of sacredness. So if you really want to be holy, then you be a missionary, you know, go overseas somewhere or be a pastor, better yet, be a youth worker, right, Zola? There you go. You know, or a parachurch worker. But basically, these are the ones that are really holy, and then everybody else, well, yeah, everybody else under that. You know, you got, you're in a helping profession, that ain't bad. You know, you're a teacher, you know, or, you know, nurse, and homemaker, medical field, trades, business, and last but not least, politics. You know, you're, you're at the bottom. And, uh, but, you know, we kind of got this, like, levels of, like, who's sacred, who's holy, who... And, um, and, and so that's what's going on here in the book of Colossians. You've you got this kind of division going on. And, and this, is what, this is what Paul's attacking and saying, Paul realizes this is so destructive, and it's actually coming out of pagan philosophy of Plato. It is not biblical. It's not scriptural. And it's so pervasive in the church today. And, and so he writes this letter here, um, and, and he says this. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. I mean, you understand this. I mean, he's he basically saying, you'll notice in these verses we read in verses 22 to chapter 4, 1, he's saying the lordship of Jesus, you'll notice in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, it transforms everything. And uh, because, again, these folks in Colossians are saying, who cares about work and the house and mundane affairs like children and you know, marriages and, you know, this I'm into Jesus, you know, visions. And Paul says, no, no, no. When you work, verse 22, you don't just work when people can see you, when their eyes upon you. You don't just work to get something, money, or superficially. Just You don't do it passively, aggressively, bare minimum, without any real interest. No, you do it in the fear of the Lord, because it's the Lord Christ you're serving. You come at it very differently, because you're called. And he says, whatever you do with all of your heart, I love that, with all your heart, what means, I mean, literally in Greek, is the depth of your being, with everything in you, you do whatever you do, with all your soul, you working for who? You work for the Lord. And he goes, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. And I love it, he says, and you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord. Slaves got no inheritance. They didn't get inheritance. They, they, they were considered tools. They were considered things. They were disposable. And Paul says, you don't understand, slaves. You're, you're a servant of the Lord. He goes, and you're going to get an inheritance in heaven. I promise you. Don't think earthly, because all things earthly have been totally transformed by Christ now. You've been called. When you become a Christian, you were called. You were called, and it's your whole life, not just a part of your life. And uh, if you're, he says to the masters in chapter 4, verse 1, if you're a master, you're the boss, and let me tell you something, you're a boss here, you too got a boss. So don't mess with God, all right? So here's Paul's point, that your calling is your whole life. Your calling is your whole life. All God's people are called. If you've heard Jesus' voice and you've received him as your Lord and Savior, you're a Christian here today, you've heard the call, and now you're called. 
You are called. You're special. There's no one like you on the face of the earth. Moses was called. Abraham was called. Samuel was called. Peter, James, John were called. And you were called. And you were called not for just a part of your life to come to church and go to small group and pray in the morning. You are, your calling is for your whole life. It's everything. And everything you do. And, uh, and so this little chart here, your calling is your whole life kind of gives you a picture of what we're talking about. And I want to spend the rest of the message kind of expounding a couple of pieces of it. But I want you to get what we're talking about today because it's so profound. Now, your calling is your whole life. In the middle is rest in Christ. Whatever we do in life, we're called to to come to Jesus. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You'll find rest for your soul. So we want want the, the rest of Jesus to permeate all that we do. Okay, and so what we're going to do is we're just going to take it apart in pieces. So, so for example, let's start with the contemplative. We start with a personal life. You're called, number one, to, to, uh, to a life of devotion to Jesus, which means you, you, I stop in my life and I develop a prayer life. I read scripture. I do daily office. I do Sabbath to remind me that my whole life is a calling to God. But my first calling is to him, is to a relationship and communion with God. And so part of your calling is to cultivate and nurture your personal relationship with Jesus. And so we talk a lot about here at New Life, right? The rule of life and offices and Sabbath keeping and all that. But the purpose of the things is to help us to stop and remember, oh, I am called. My life is a calling to a person. And that calling permeates everything in my life. That's why stopping is so important and the disciplines. It's a reminder of that calling. But then we end up, we work. And your calling is your whole life. But... We all, most of us, we work, and, and, uh, and, but for most of us today, we see work as a curse, right? It's hard, and it's to be endured so I can get that paycheck. And here's the attitude. I don't help anyone at my job. I don't get any satisfaction from it. I do it so I can really do what I want later, on weekends, during vacation. Actually, I'm working for retirement when I don't have to work for anybody else. Can you imagine slaves? You think they like their job? I mean, you hate your job. And Paul said to the slaves, you know what? If you can get out of being a slave, do it. Hey, if you can get your job changed, do it. That's not the point. Paul says you're called. You're called at work. And it's the Lord Christ that you're serving. And that's, that calling permeates your, your whole workplace. And so what you do, you're, you're, you're really a free servant of Christ. And you remember you only have one boss, and that's the living God. And so your work for Jesus, you ready for this? You may hate your job. You may hate your boss. You may hate your coworkers. But your workplace is holy for you. It's sacred. And so whether you're retired here, you're unemployed, you're underemployed, you're handicapped, whether you get paid or you're not paid, you are working. And you work for Christ. And so what does that look like? Say, for example, you're an accountant or a bookkeeper. That means as you're doing those numbers, you know, and it's getting now at the very end of the year, and you're probably all strung out, but you're counting those numbers with care because they're Christ's. Or say you're a car salesperson, and you are selling that car. You are selling that car to Jesus, honestly. <laughs> and the way you relate to your boss and the other co-salespeople right on that floor, you do it, you're doing it as to Christ, because you work for him. Let's say you sweep chimneys. You're a chimney sweeper. That is Christ's chimney you're sweeping. Or you're a computer programmer. That is Jesus' computer you are programming, all right, and working on. 
or you're a construction manager or in one of the trades, that is Christ's house that you're building. Or you're in sanitation or you're a custodian. Do you know what? You pick up the garbage that fell out of the can by accident. All right? And you actually sweep maybe under the rug or under the radiator that nobody can see it. Or you're an educator. You're a teacher or a vice principal or principal. You're called by God in that school. And you know what? You're teaching those kids. That's Christ sitting in that third row in the second seat who's driving you crazy. Okay, he's in there. And you recognize God puts you there to work out your calling, to serve him, to give witness to him. And you're not just working to retire and get out of that school system and do what you want. Christ is your principal and your vice principal. He may be one of your students. If you're a dentist, it's his teeth you're working on. Even though you're you're wondering if that person's even going to pay you. If you're a hairdresser, that is Christ's hair you're touching. If you're a musician or an artist, you are, you are creating music to give joy to Christ or art for him. If you're a pharmacist or a psychologist or a nurse and you're dealing with a client and uh, they're irate because maybe they're frustrated about their insurance and blaming you, but you know what? You recognize that, that client coming in that door, that's Christ for you. You are serving him. Or you're a waiter or a waitress. You just don't throw the menu because you know they're going to be bad tippers and have an attitude. You actually, you recognize that Jesus is my customer here. Or if you're a student and you're studying, you know what? You do the best you can. You don't, you don't work 90 hours a week out of fear and anxiety. You're not just after getting good grades. You want to study to the Lord and do the best you can, and you rest the rest in his hands. You know, New Life Fellowship, I'm not, you know, I, 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 for years I had this struggle. I saw preaching, I'm doing right now, Time with God, that was holy and sacred. And, uh, and uh, that was my calling. But a one-on-one meeting or an elder meeting or administration or planning or the executive functions, I didn't see that as holy. So I didn't put the kind of energy and prayer into those things because I had a, I had a separation. And uh, it's been quite a journey for me to learn that it's worth the time and effort, that it's all holy, not just a part of my job. Uh, some of you were at the church history course that uh, my friend Scott Sunquist taught uh, this past fall. And uh, Scott's one of the leading thinkers on church history, global church history. And one of the great themes of that church history course was that the great missionary movement of the 1700s and the 1800s was done by regular people who understood calling. And they actually all had, they were tent makers, they all had, they were working. And, uh, and they had regular jobs, and they simply took that with them, and they saw that their whole life was a calling. It permeated everything. And so people like William Carey, who was a great father of modern missions, he was, a, he was a shoemaker in London, but he got this vision, and he moved to India, and uh, he set up a shoe shop to support himself. After seven years, he began to move out and, and began to, you know, did a great work there, there in India. But we, we talked about that course. We're all chaplains. We're all called. If you're a Christian here today, you're called a full-time ministry at Home Depot, at Starbucks, at that nursing home, at your business. You are called by Jesus to be there full-time for him. And so your full-time calling is your work. You're there. You may, not, you may have segmented it, but it's part of it. Your calling is your whole life. But then your family as well. Now, actually, if I could put an order, I'd say, well, you know, you're first called to Jesus. If you're married and have children... Uh, that is, that's your first neighbor, and, and your calling next flows out of that, your covenant you've made to Christ. That's why singleness is considered a calling in Scripture as well. And, uh, but 
The weight is, if you're married, that marriage vow now takes precedence and informs the rest of your life. And uh, so we do a lot of teaching about that new life, obviously. To, to, that, that's, that's part of your calling for Christ. But it's very hard to live out. And uh, you know, last Thursday, uh, I, I, re- I found out that one of my children had a need that I do something for them basically half a day on Friday. Now, I had, last, this past Friday, I had it all segmented out. I, Friday, my day, you know, Friday morning, I was like, you know, be cool. You know, I was going to pray and, fin- and finish my sermon that I'm giving to you right now. Pretty important time. I just, just relax, and I kind of put the final touches on, and I finish it up, and, you know, ready to go. But I realized that uh, one of my daughters, uh, her need was like, it was, it, my Friday morning was going to be shot. You know, probably like 1, 2 o'clock. So this interruption, uh, I was annoyed. I was irritated with her, with God, with anybody that moved. <laughs> By evening, I was tense, not in stomach. And um, as I climbed into bed, my wife turns to me and says, now, Pete, I'm going to ask you a question, but I don't want you to answer. I knew it was bad. then. <laughs> Promise me you're not going to answer. I said, all right. And she said, how does tomorrow morning with your daughter relate to your calling? Yeah, you try being married to that woman. Goodness gracious. I'm preaching on this in two days. I mean, this is awful. I was really shaken to the core. And uh, because I spend a lot of time on sermons. And I spend a lot of time and intensity and focus on it. And I realize, wow, I'm as bad as the Colossians. Look at me. And so I was able to get a grip uh, the next morning, and I actually, you know, had to do a lot of self-talk and realize that this all, God has given me all the time in life that I need to fulfill my calling, and his yoke is easy and light. And so I went into that morning with my daughter, uh, it, not, you know, we talked about, you know, not just an interruption, God's in the interruption, it was deeper than that. I said, no, this is my calling from God to be with her these four hours. And so I gave her the same time and intensity I would have given my sermon. I wasn't distracted. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I wasn't trying to squeeze in some work over here. I was grateful. And believe me, she was testing to see if I was going to be grateful or not. You know? <laughs> I, 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 was, I, was, I listened. Um, and I think I really did walk through at least that morning with an attitude of serving Jesus. And I tell you, what was so stunning to me was how transformed that morning was with her. It was incredible. I don't, know, I don't know if she got anything out of it, but I know I was a different person in it. And I realized that my models from really my whole life, including my Christian life, that I've known many Christians who understood even that even their work is a calling, and definitely their, 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 their you know, pastoring is a calling and all that. But I realized how few I've met that understood that their family was a calling. And I realized I've just, I just sucked. I've just taken that in into my, my bloodstream. And um, I had one CEO of a Fortune 500 company who I knew pretty well. He was quite a leader um, in his work, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He was actually a leader in his church. He was on the board for like 25 to 30 years. 
But when it came to his home, he missed his family and children completely in his life. It wasn't, he didn't see it as part of his calling. And, uh, of course, the destruction followed. But I want you to hear this. As I'm grasping, and I trust you grasp, my calling, your calling, is your whole life. My calling is my whole life, not simply your work. Now, we do spend most of our time at work, so we've got to you know, earn some money. But we want you to understand, at least at New Life, that your marriage and family are your first priority. And, uh, and it has first place in your heart. So if you're getting up in the middle of the night with that crying baby and that, that diaper, you know what? You're getting up, that's your calling for Jesus. Or, taking, or uh, even just making a phone call, as some of you probably did or maybe didn't do, to one of your siblings or your parents that you're not living with anymore, and just even giving them a phone call and saying, I want to wish you a happy new year. That's, you do that out of a deeper place, not of guilt, not of obligation, not of a shoulda, but actually part of my calling is I'm a participant in my extended family. And I see it part of, it is the Lord Jesus that you're serving. The Lord Christ, and you walk it out in that temperament. So I, I could say much more about your callings your whole life around the areas that I'm going to mention right now. Church, obviously, we're all called to be part of a local church. Every one of us, you're, you're a believer, and every Christian, single, married, old, young, you are meant to walk out your Christianity as part of a community, part of a body. It's hard. In fact, they're all hard. And he's given you grace. He's poured out to you, Ephesians 4, 7, service, grace, and gifts and talents to, to, to use here and, and function in, in, in part of the body here. And, and uh, that's why membership is important. It's part of your calling. So you serve maybe a nursery or children or parking lot or ushers. You're giving money because the church is God's primary vehicle for extending his kingdom in the world. It's the place of equipping. We hold up a torch. It's the light of the world. But it's only a part of your calling. But it's a part of everybody's calling as we're part of this community. We're also part of a neighborhood where we're hopefully salt and light. Every one of us. You live on a certain block in the city of New York. Most of us here live in the city. Some live in New Jersey and some in Connecticut. But uh, God put you on a block in a neighborhood and you may not know the people's names on your right or on your left. You may not even speak their language. They may be culturally different. They may listen to different music. They may be cooking foods that smell different. There may be a lot of moving in and out of apartments next to you or houses. I don't know. My neighbors, I don't know. They cook. They have barbecues at midnight. I don't know. You know, and, and I'm right under my bedroom. And it comes right up into that room. And uh, dogs bark. I don't know about your neighborhood. Hey. And so I've got to, each of us has to ask, how can I be salt and light where I live? It's not an easy question to answer. But it may be something as simple as greeting the doorman, holding the elevator for someone, remembering the names of people. But to see the people around us, we're different than everybody else in New York. Because we've been called by God. We've been called to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't treat people as it's. We're driving on that Long Island Expressway. You're on that subway. These aren't it's. These are human beings. And so in my neighborhood, especially in a place like New York, we treat our neighbors not as it's, but as vows, as people. And again, for some of us, depending on our season of life, is how much we're involved in our neighborhood actively. And that changes, right, with seasons and, and what God has you in right now. And then finally, you've got the whole issue of the civic political arena. Part of your calling is you're living here in New York. You're living here in the United States of America, and we participate in this country, in our city, in our town. And uh, again, that may be, it means we vote, you know, we write letters, we're involved in tenant associations and local politics and school boards. We read the newspapers as part of our vocation. Why? Not for gossip and the latest scandal, although that is interesting. You know, <laughs> we read the papers to know what's going on, because part of our calling is to participate here in this society 
and try to understand the issues. And when we talk about issues with people, we talk about it differently. We don't yell, scream, slander, make these massive statements that have no, no basis for them. We actually care about the environment. We actually drive the car the speed limit sometimes. We, we, we care about the law, you know, because we're working out our calling there. But you see, our calling is our whole life, not just a portion of it. And uh, so there's a lot more I could say about these smaller areas. But I want you to get this. Because your calling is your whole life, you going to work tomorrow is as spiritual as you coming to church this morning. Because your calling is your whole life, you taking your son out for breakfast is as holy is as important as you showing up here and doing prayer in your, in your car. Studying for an exam because your calling is your whole life is as spiritual as reading the Bible. Crossing the street to take two minutes to greet your neighbor is as spiritual as your small group. When you understand being in a small group. When you understand your calling, cooking a nutritious meal for your family or changing that diaper is as spiritual as leading a Bible study. When you understand your calling, serving as an usher in that parking lot is as spiritual as Peter Roden leading worship or myself preaching this sermon. When you understand your calling, learning skills to grow in your marriage or grow in your relationships, learning how to deal with conflict practically is as spiritual as sitting here in worship with your hands lifted high. When you understand your calling, wrestling at work with not participating in the gossip or the murder of that coworker that probably deserves to be murdered, humanly speaking, Wrestling with that issue, because you know your call there is as spiritual as giving of your tithes and offerings here during the offering. It's equally spiritual, because your calling encompasses your whole life. There's nobody like you. So the next time you hear someone say, well, I was called to full-time ministry, you say, really? So was I. I was too. I was The moment... You heard his call, and you gave your life to Christ, you became a Christian, you were called. Fully, in your whole life. I'm no more called than you're called. We're all called. One calling is when you come to Christ. So you're a full-time called person for Jesus. That's how important your life is. You may think your life does not have much significance. It's got enormous significance. You think you're, you're just there at your job to earn money? No, it's much greater than that. And as uh, Jesus said, the word, so we want to start today. We want to put a stake in the ground. Today, friends, we're going to get rid of that virus. It's so prevalent in the body of Christ, it's very difficult to get rid of. That we're all called. And we're, our calling is to the whole of life. As Jesus says, you did not choose me. What did he say? But I have chosen you. That's how significant you are. And so that shame and that guilt, one woman came to me after the second service, first service, she's been, you know, following, been a Christian for a long time. She was weeping. She says, I've been carrying shame and guilt. And that's why I've never felt like I was called. Because, see, your call is not based on your merit. It's not based on your works or your performance. It's not based on how good you pray. It's based on Jesus and his finished work, his record, not your own. You're called by sheer mercy. That's how special you are. He called you by name. And your calling really is your whole life. You know what we're going to do at the end of this series? We're going to commission you all after four weeks. You know, we generally commission a person who's going to be a missionary. Not a bad thing. Or commission a pastor or an elder. It's good. No, we commission all of you.
for what God has for you. If you're called, watch out, is all right. If you can get this, it is like the discovery of a new continent. The implications are that big. You will not talk the same. But you watch that language and people throw around vocation and calling and you correct them. We want to get our language to be biblical and right. Because language makes a huge difference. So I want to invite the worship team to come on forward. We're going to take communion. And communion is a lovely way to bring this message to a whole. Because communion, today, friends, is about rest in Christ. Jesus invites us to experience a deep rest in our souls, in every part of our life. And so communion is an opportunity to receive an invitation to take and eat of Christ. Now again, these are physical elements that Christ gave us. He takes the bread, he says, take and eat, this is my body. He takes the cup, gives thanks, and says, take and drink, all of you, this is the blood of my covenant. So this is a gift. You come to this table, pure grace, and what sustains you in your calling. You say, how can I live all this? I can't, I don't know how to do it. You're right, I don't either. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So does your yoke feel heavy right now and your burden feel burdened and heavy? Well, I got news for you. Something's out of whack. Because you can be in difficult circumstances, but when you're resting in Jesus, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. So I want to invite you to come to the communion table and to eat and drink of Christ. Take him into yourself because he is our life. And we live out our callings tomorrow at work with him in and through us. So let's all stand together. And Mike, why don't you put the, um, I guess not, the, uh, the overhead up. <laughs> well, let me lead you in a prayer of uh, confession here um, as we begin. Because I know uh, for many of us, as we come to this community table, uh, we've not responded to our calling. We've blocked it. We've pushed it away. We've had it segmented and compartmentalized. And I want to invite you just to quiet yourself and just surrender your heart to Christ. Um, so just bow your heads for a moment before we begin and close your eyes. I want to invite you just to maybe just open up your hands up towards heaven, your palms uplifted towards heaven, and you're just open. And I want to invite you to surrender yourself to his calling. And say, I'm like, wow, like I'm called. Like just as James and John and Moses and Abraham, God, you've called me. So, Lord, I, I, I surrender to you. So there's a prayer up there as your hands are just, you know, a, a prayer up on the PowerPoint. I'm going to pray it, and you may just want to pray it with me out loud or pray it silently. It's a great prayer of confession from the Book of Common Prayer. As we uh, all have fallen short of receiving and following his calling for our lives. And let's take, say forgiveness, then we'll take communion together. The prayer of confession goes as follows. Let's pray. Almighty God, my heavenly Father, 
I have sinned against you through my own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what I have done, in what I have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me all my offenses, and grant that I may serve you in newness of life to the glory of God.